song, You Are Good, Amen. All the time. God is good, Amen. All right. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 through 13. And we stand in the presence of a, a good and gracious God, of a Father who loves us, a Father who cares deeply about us. No matter what you're going through this morning, He cares for you. No matter what the ache is, no matter what the pain is, no matter what you're grieving over, He loves you. And He is gracious. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What you hold in your hand or see on the screen is not a, a self help book, but it's the very Word of God. It is God breathed. God has given it to us so that we can be encouraged and strengthened and driven, those who are believers, to look more like Jesus. Amen? So let's go to the sufficient, inerrant, matchless, wonderful word of God. Starting at verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship? in the Lord. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. If you could travel over to the 13th verse. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have not made use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Today we want to tag this text, No Obstacles. No Obstacles. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Father, we just thank you for this privilege to gather together in this room some who know you as Lord and Savior and others who do not. I pray, Father God, that you would allow me to preach Christ and him crucified. Allow me through your spirit, Father God, not to seek to preach with plausible words of wisdom or eloquent speech, Lord, in order to point to myself, but to preach your son, Jesus, him who holds all things together. Father, I pray that we would allow your word to, to, to go into the, the nooks and the crevices of our hearts, that it will be double-edged this morning, Lord. 
I pray, Lord, that it would would heal as well as convict, Father God, and that it would draw someone who doesn't know you to you. Father, we stand repenting right now in the name of Jesus for anything that would hinder us from hearing your word. And I pray, Father God, that you would bind the strong man in this place right now in the name of Jesus. Anything that would seek to hinder your word from going into our hearts, Father God, I pray that you would remove that obstacle in the name of Jesus. Make your gospel beautiful right now, Father. Allow us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. What a blessing it is to see each and every one of you this morning. You all are are looking well and alert and and ready to dig into God's word. Um, As Americans, there um, are a few things that we uh, really, really value, but perhaps nothing more than our freedom and our rights. I mean, we are a country and we are a people who have been blessed to to live in a nation that gives us freedom to an extent and gives us rights to an extent. I mean, part of our motto and our mantra is that we um, all have a right to life, liberty, and what? And the pursuit of happiness. We value and put primacy on our rights. Even if a person is a suspect in a, in a major crime and is arrested, before they are questioned, they are read their Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to such and such. And it's good that we value our rights, and it's great that we live in a nation that gives us freedom and rights. But sometimes we can worship those rights. And we can use those rights in ways that doesn't lift other people up. And even as Christians, as I I can see how that transfer happens in our Christianity. Because we are in Christ, we are free. Because we are in Christ, we have certain rights. Because we are in Christ, we can do things that are not sinful. And have the freedom to express ourselves in that way. But, but sometimes as Christians, we can, we can worship our rights. To the point that we can use our rights, we can use our liberty, not to build up, but to tear down. The Apostle Paul has been talking to the church of Corinth. And in chapter 8, he uh, talks to them about their rights, about their freedoms. And he's speaking to the stronger Christians, those who are mature in Christ. And he's saying, yes, God has given you rights. God has given you Christian freedom. He has given you liberty to be able to do specific things, such as eat meat that has been offered up to idols. However, you don't have to use that right. There comes a time where that right needs to be laid aside for that weaker brother or the one, the brother who is not as mature because you can cause him to stumble. Paul ends chapter 8 
by saying these words, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Even though Paul had a right to eat meat, he says, if that meat eating meat is going to cause my brother to think about his former lifestyle or to model me and eat meat himself and sin against his conscience, he said, I will never eat meat. Now in chapter 9, Paul wants to illustrate to the church of Corinth that he is willing to put his money where his mouth is. That he isn't just preaching to them about their need to give up their rights, but he is willing to demonstrate how he has done so in his life. And what we're about to read is nothing short of, nothing short of humbling and amazing as Paul illustrates and shows us a real-life example of how he gave up his rights. Now, in in verse number 3 of chapter 9, we read these words. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So Paul is actually coming from an angle, probably talking to the more mature brothers and sisters in Christ who have been questioning him or examining him. And it's believed that they have been saying, Paul, uh, uh, the reason why you give up certain liberties and certain rights is because maybe it's because you're really not an apostle of Jesus. Maybe the reason that you're giving up these liberties is because you know you don't really add up to the other apostles such as Peter and James. So Paul writes this Right, chapter 9, we see that he's going to illustrate how he gave up a right, but, but first he's going to defend his apostleship. So we want to look at two things today in this passage. We want to see how this passage moves in two ways. The first thing we want to look at from verses 1 through 12 is we're going to see that Paul reviews his rights. Paul reviews his rights. And then in verse 12b through verse 18, we're going to look at how Paul reveals his greatest treasure. We're going to see that Paul reveals his greatest treasure. And at the end of today's sermon, what I'm praying that you would walk away with, the the biggest idea that I'm praying that would be ingrained in your heart is this, that when the gospel captures you, you live for it to capture others. When the good news of Jesus captures you, You lived for it to capture others. You don't allow obstacles, even rights, things that you have a right to, to hinder the gospel of Jesus going forth. When the gospel captures you, you live for it to capture others. So in verse 1 through 12, we see that Paul reviews his rights. He reviews his rights And he does so by starting off with four questions. They're rhetorical questions. Look at your Bibles. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. In the Lord. So he starts off with four questions, and the answer to each of these questions is yes. Am I not free? Yes, Paul is free. Just like any other Christian. Am I not an apostle? Yes, Paul is an apostle. He is one who had seen the Lord and who had been personally commissioned by the Lord with authority to lead the church. 
Have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, Paul saw the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? Yes, the Church of Corinthians is his workmanship in the Lord. Paul answers these rhetorical questions, asks these rhetorical questions, and the answer is yes. And what is he doing? He is defending his apostleship from off rip. From the very beginning, he is letting them know that he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, in case anyone has any questions about that. He is not laying aside his freedoms because he feels like he is less than the other apostles. And he goes on to share his heart with the church of Corinth. And he says, one of the ways that you know that I'm a true apostle is because you all are my workmanship. You all are my workmanship. What does it mean that they're his workmanship? They are proof of his hard work. They are proof of the fact that God has called him because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is reigning in their hearts. And where there once was death, there now is life. Where there once was darkness, there now is light. Where there once was depression, there now is peace. Where there once was confusion, there now is a regulated mind. He says, you are my workmanship. But not only is the church of Corinth his workmanship, he goes on to call them his seal. And that's an interesting word. He says, you are the seal of my apostleship. What does he mean? Well, one commentator puts it like this. He says, in ancient times, seals were used on containers of merchandise, on letters, and on other things to indicate the authenticity of what was inside and to prevent the contents from being substituted or altered. The seal was the official representation of the authority of the one who sent the merchandise or letter. What was under the seal was guaranteed to be genuine. The Corinthian church was a living seal of Paul's apostleship. In other words, they were proof of his genuineness. After Paul goes on to review his rights, we see that the apostle wants to let the church of Corinth know that he has rights just like they do. He has rights just like they do. In verse 4, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Yes, Christians have the right to, to freely eat and drink what they want to. Except for, of course, gluttony. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have, who have no right to refrain from working for a living. So he goes on and he says, do, do I have the right to take on a believing wife, right? Christians marry Christians. And he says, yes, I have that right. I have that right. So he's establishing his rights. But verse 6 is really where Paul wants to plant. And from verse 6 on, this is the right that he wants to focus on. Look at your Bibles. Look at what it says. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? For working for a living. In other words, do I have a right to make a living wage off of what I do? Do I have a right to make a living wage off of shepherding the church of Corinth? 
is establishing his right. He's saying, I have a right to get paid for preaching the gospel. Let's continue, verse 7. Now he's going to use some everyday examples in order to strengthen his argument that he has a right to get paid for preaching the gospel. That he has a, a right to receive monies from the churches that he labors for. He gives three everyday examples. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk. He asked three questions. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Does a, does a soldier go to war and pay for his own uh, uh, materials, his own weapons? No, a soldier goes to war knowing that the country that he's fighting for is going to provide for him. Does a person working in a vineyard get to taste of what is in the vineyard? Of course, the person who works in the vineyard gets to taste of what is in the vineyard. He goes on, or who tends a flock without getting some milk? A farmer who milks his cows has the right to drink of his own milk. Now, that's disgusting to me, but he has the right to do it. We went on a mission trip to Costa Rica, went to a dairy farm in a day, and got to meet uh, one of the guys who, who knew the pastor, and we went through throughout the, the farm, and we saw them milking cows and doing all kind of work. And then we went back later on that night, and we came to a feast of all kind of dairy products and milk and cheese. And the gentleman who was uh, milking the cows earlier still had on his clothes from milking the cows, and it was just nasty stuff just hanging off. And I was so proud of Forest Baptist Church members they were just drinking the milk and eating the cheese. And I was like, I'm not really feeling this right now. But God bless y'all, right? <laughs> he says, who, who do, does he have a right to, the, he who tends to a flock, does he have a, a right to, to get some of his milk? And the answer is, yes, he has a right. So he establishes his right to get paid for preaching the gospel by going to everyday examples. And then in verse number eight, he's going to establish his right even more by saying that the law, that the law says that he should get paid for preaching the gospel. That it's not just, it's not a human authority, but God's law says, and look at verse eight, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads on grain. It is for oxen that God is, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have shown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do, we, do not we even more? So he establishes his right to be compensated 
for ministry by pointing to the law of Moses, by pointing to the fact that an ox, when he treaded grain on the first threshing floor, the grain was thrown on the threshing floor, the ox would tread it, he would walk on it to to break it in order to, to get the grain out of it. He says, even the law of Moses says that you don't muzzle an ox, you don't put a muzzle on the mouth of an ox so that he cannot eat while he works. But even while the ox was fresh on the, uh, in the threshing floor, stepping on the grain, he was able to eat and he was able to get from his work. Paul is saying, if an ox, if God looked out, of a, out for an ox that way, surely he is looking out for those who are called to minister the gospel. He's saying, it's my right to receive a living wage from the people that I serve. Says the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in his crop and the preacher should be able to preach in hope knowing that from his ministry he is going to be adequately supplied for and taken care of. That I've preached spiritual things among you. Is it too much for me to reap material blessings? So what is Paul building? He's building an argument simply saying that Christian ministers, Christian missionaries should make a living wage. And this is important for us as a church as we make a a brief caveat to know that, that that's what God's word says and that's what Paul is arguing. That those who serve the church should make their living by the church being generous and giving to supply their needs. Now, Paul is not doing a TBN shakedown right now. He's not shaking down the church of Corinth in order for him to live an extravagant lifestyle. He is not preaching in a way that's saying, that's promoting a prosperity gospel. He is not doing a preachers of L.A. right now, saying, I have a right to receive money from you so that I can drive a Porsche and live in a, in a big house. But he is saying that as a preacher of the gospel, I do have a right to receive fair compensation. So that brings the question, what is fair compensation for a minister? I believe Proverbs chapter 30 gives us a a good picture of what the heart of a minister should be while he ministers. Because as a church, we... Uh, You're not called to to give in such a way that me and the other four persons on staff, that we we become rich. And at the same time, we're not required to give in such a way that we we lack and and live in poverty. Proverbs chapter 30, the the writers of uh, the words of Agar says this. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? In other words, he says, don't, Lord, don't give me so much money that I'm rich and that my heart becomes cold for you. But on the other hand, he says, or least I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Attica Quake, pay for a minister, a wise pay is, is a pay that allows him to, to live comfortably enough where he does not have to worry about his next meal. 
and worry about the basic necessities of life, but he is free to preach. Paul says, that's my right. Later on, he tells Timothy that those who preach, those who teach, and those who labor among the people of God, that they deserve double honor. They deserve to be taken care of. As we continue on in this passage, and as we're going to think through this, I want to ask you a, a quick question. If every one of you, everyone here at Force, if everyone here at Force had your faith and perspective as it pertains to giving financially to the Lord, could the pastors and staff joyfully serve the church? If everyone here at Force, I didn't say had your income, I said had your faith and perspective of giving. Could those who serve for us serve with joy? Because this text teaches us that it is the rights of those who labor for the church to receive a living wage with hope. Praise God for Forest Baptist Church and those who give weekly who do allow for those who serve this church to have their needs met. Amen. But here's Paul's second point. So he establishes his rights. He reviews them, and he says his rights. But but the second thing we're going to look at is this, that Paul reveals his greatest treasure. Paul reveals his greatest treasure. Look at verse 12. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul reveals his greatest treasure. Paul gives up his right at Corinth to be paid by the church of Corinth in order that there would not be an obstacle to him preaching. See, here's the context. In Corinth, it was a very pagan city. And Corinth was known for its education and for its schools. It was known for its orators. And what would happen is orators would be very eloquent. And they would speak very well. And they would have followers and open schools. And they would charge an arm and a leg. And they would live a lavish life. So people in Corinth would look at orators and they would would know that most orators are doing what they're doing in order to get out of them, to get money out of them. So Paul says, if I come into a place that doesn't have a church and, and where the gospel is not established, and if I accept money from the church, people are going to think that I am preaching this message and being creative with a message in order to extract money from it. So he says, even though I have a right to preach and to get paid, in Corinth, I determined to make nothing. And in Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul got a job as a tent maker. He was working with his hands by day, preaching by night, 
or preaching as he worked. But he took on a, an extra job even though he had the right to pastor full time. Because he did not want there to be an obstacle in the way of people hearing the message of Jesus. This man gave up something that was rightfully his for the benefit of the church and for the benefit of others. He says, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I had a right to get paid, but I love the gospel. I love you too much to, to do so. Now, is that an example for all pastors? In every context, I would argue and say, no. That was a specific situation, but I would say that pastors should be mindful of obstacles and perceptions and caricatures and be willing to lay aside rights. Before I became pastor of Forest Baptist Church, the, the job that I was working at, um, working really hard, was a student, taking about 12 hours, working 35, 40 hours a week, and then was here as a church as youth pastor. And I'll never forget when I became pastor and I quit that job, they threw a little going away uh, uh, party for me. And one of the, the guys asked me in front of everybody, he says, well, now that you are a pastor, you get to go buy you a brand new Cadillac, right? He said, I see you now, pulling up to the store next week. In a shiny cattle, and everybody started laughing. And one lady said, why is it that pastors have to buy a Cadillac? Is that like a, a thing that says, I made, you made it, right? <laughs> and I remember uh, saying to them that, no, that's not a thing that says that I made it. And in my heart, I, I vowed, as long as I was in this ministry context, to, to not get one. It's a right that I, I, I laid aside. Now, that's not to diminish those who have one because they've worked hard for it. Or maybe they have another job, or maybe their wife works at a really good job, or maybe they're in a different ministry context. If you're in Beverly Hills, it may be a stumbling block to not have a Cadillac. People may not want to listen to you if you're preaching and if you're not up to a certain living standard. But as ministers of the gospel, we need to be willing to lay aside obstacles or, or things that may hinder other people from hearing the gospel. And why did Paul do that? Paul did that because he treasured the good news of Jesus more than anything else. He treasured the good news of Jesus more than his personal convenience. He treasured the good news of Jesus Christ so much that he was willing to take a job where he was working by his hands and had extra pressures on him. He treasured the gospel. And this text calls us to treasure the gospel. If we do not treasure the good news of Jesus, we will not relinquish our, life, our rights. If the gospel has not captured us, we will not be willing to lay aside Christian freedoms and rights in order that other people may be captured by it. That's what we see in this text. It was his greatest treasure. He goes on to say, verse 12b, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus. His gospel captivated him. If you look at your Bibles, you'll see over the next five verses that Paul just writes the gospel almost in every verse. In verse 12, he talks about putting obstacles in the way of the gospel of Christ. In verse 14, he says that the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living 
by the gospel. And verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, the end of verse 16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 18, that in my preaching I may present the gospel. The end of verse 18, so as not to make full use of my right in the man love the gospel? Has the gospel captivated you? Do you, do you know the, the good news of Jesus? When the gospel has captivated you, you're, you're right, you're willing to lay your rights alongside for the sake of the mission. This, this gospel is a message. It is a proclamation. Mark chapter 114 says that Jesus came into Galilee preaching, repent, and believe in the, the gospel. It's a, a proclamation of freedom. It is a proclamation of a, of a new kingdom. The gospel says that we are no longer a part of this world's kingdom, this kingdom that is ruled by the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eyes. Is ruled by a gracious king who reigns with righteousness and equity. We are part of a different kingdom, a kingdom that believes that the greatest amongst us is, is not the one who has servants, but the one who serves. This gospel is a proclamation of grace. It's a, it's a message that says you are not good enough in your own strength, to please God. That your works don't satisfy God, and you may say, man, that's bad news. But no, it's good news. It's good news because it's a message that says that salvation is a gift from God, and it's free. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try to impress God with your good works. That what pleases God is not your works, but Jesus' works and what he did on the cross. And those who look to Jesus by faith will be saved. And they receive an alien righteousness, a, a righteousness that is not of their own, but that is of the king of this kingdom. Jesus, a king, died as a peasant, died as a common thief, so that you and I can receive the gift of salvation by faith. This gospel is a message that points us to a crucified Savior and an enormed God. When we understand the gift that we've received, when we're captured by it, and when we're thinking on it and calling it to mind daily, it causes us to want to capture ours. Is there something in your heart that gets your blood boiling more than this good news. When you look back on the last week or the last month, what is it that you are willing to make sacrifices for? What is it that you're, you're willing to change your schedule for in an instant? What is it that you're willing to move money around in your account so you can get? Yo, I got to get this new watch, Apple Watch. It, it, it's, it's dope. It's like having a phone on my arm. I don't actually have to go in my pocket and 
the phone. I can just push a button and talk like that. Apple released that new watch, and your heart got boiling, and you started scheming, saying how you can move stuff around, and how you can fast during your lunch. Right? Because this new gadget. Or maybe it's your health that gets you bored. Wife, are you willing to live in a way, husband, are you willing to live in a way that removes obstacles for your spouse that would hinder them from knowing Jesus and knowing him more intimately? Is the good news of Jesus good enough for you to make sacrifices at home that will lead your spouse to know Jesus better? Co-workers, is the gospel beautiful to you? Is it captivating enough that when you go to the job that you're willing to go with an attitude of a servant that says, yes, I just got a, a new promotion and they gave me a, a different cubicle with a window, but I know my unbelieving coworker really wanted it. And rather than use my right to move in that cubicle, I say, can you put them there? And just kindly let them know, I had an opportunity too, but I think you would enjoy it more. The one who's in a dating relationship. Are you willing to remove obstacles so that the person you are meeting can see God? Matthew 5, 6, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see the Lord. Are you willing to, to remove things that would cause them to stumble because you love the message of the cross more than you do pleasing them or pleasing yourself? Is the good news good enough for you? I don't say this to make myself a hero of any kind. Just walk with me for a week, you'll know that that's not the case. This week, I was, the last few weeks, I've been studying at a new study spot. I like to go to different coffee shops. And the way my schedule was, I was on a certain part of town, so I started going to this coffee shop. And the first day I went in, they were so kind and so nice. And I opened up all my books, had them laid out, was writing my sermon, and everything was just great. But I noticed the second day I came in, one of the workers asked what I was reading and kind of asked me, was that a Bible? And all of a sudden, things got a little cold around the shop. Um, a couple of the workers intentionally, since I was right next to the bar, they said, to, the, to the bar, they, they were started talking about things that, I know, that they know that Christians disagree with, that's hot, and was talking loud enough so I could hear. Said, interesting. Let me make sure I smile and laugh and don't get drawn into this conversation right now because I felt that it was bait. Went in the next time, and it was just really cold this time. Barely got a smile. I said, oh, what you studying? Told him what I was studying. Shut off. The same young lady, uh, I ordered. I said, yes, can I have this drink? I don't want you left out the drink. Can I have this drink? And uh, she said, yes. I said, can you give me light ice? She said, light ice? I said, light ice, like minimum ice. I want more drink than ice. I got my drink. I had never seen a cup so full of ice. <laughs> that joint was filled to the brim. I took two, it was gone. Now, at that moment, I had the right to go up. And it say, ma'am, um, I ordered this drink and I asked for light ice. 
and you didn't give me light ice. I need another drink. But instead, I said, you know what? I'm going I'm to count this as a loss. I'm going to make sure I smile and engage her in conversation for the rest of the day when she comes past. I'm going to let her know it's not that big of a deal. Why? Because I'm hoping that my presence in that little coffee shop will begin to melt the heart of those who are working there. And that maybe they'll look back and say, if she was intentional, I loaded him up on ice intentionally. And he didn't say nothing. He loved me. Are you willing to go the extra mile for the gospel? finished. Verse 15. Actually, verse, verse 13. Do you know that those who are employed in a temple service gets their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He does it again. He gives them another example. He says, yep, those who used to work in the temple, they got their, their, their pay from those who came to the temple. He's, he's steady showing them his right, but he's doing it again to make his point. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision. He's saying, but I did not do this. Did not do this to get something out. It's got more that can be said, but I want to stop right here and we'll pick up the rest next week. I want you to really think about what gets your heart boiling and what you're willing to make sacrifices for. If a new gadget comes out, you've got to have it, and you're willing to spend uh, $500 for it, but you're not ever willing to give $500 for the mission of the church. Just search your heart. There's some things in your life at home that you know is keeping your children from, from really believing the gospel because there's contradiction, there's obstacles. Search your heart and say, Lord, take this from me so that there be no obstacles to my children wanting to serve Jesus so that home and church connect. Steward the gospel well. Paul stewarded the gospel. He kept the gospel well. He kept it close to his heart, and he shared it with others so that others would have life because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is all that. It is a message of acceptance. It's a message that says you are accepted by the person who matters most. You are accepted by God in spite of yourself. God looks at you and he says, my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased in spite of you. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message that says no matter what you've done in the past, you are forgiven. And your sins in the present are forgiven if you confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's a message of forgiveness for the future, that your future sins, when you fall short and when you stumble, that God is not going to hold it against you because it was paid for on the cross. It is a message of new life. 
The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is a message of a, a new family. No matter what kind of family you had in the past, you're now a part of a new family. A family that is learning and growing to look more like Jesus. You have the same rights that Jesus had because you are now a son or daughter of the Most High. You can cry out, Abba, Father. It's a message of deliverance. That whatever has you bound, that there is hope in the gospel that you can be set free. That nothing can enslave you. Nothing can keep you away from Jesus. It's a message of hope. That one day when this old world is over, that we shall live in the land of no more. No more crying. No more lying. No more dying. And we shall behold his face. It's a message of peace. That in the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of all the drama, in the midst of all of life's brokenness, that we can have a perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. Is that what gets your blood boiling? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to be like Paul and to love your gospel more than any right or any freedom, that we will be able to live with such a passion for it that others would come to know Jesus. Capture us with the gospel so that we can live to capture others with it. Allow us, Lord, to be willing to lay aside our, our rights for your name's sake. Jesus' name, amen.